testimony this morning. Amen. Amen. My sins are gone. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God for that. Why don't we just sing a, a verse of that or the course he was wounded for our transgressions. Just worship the Lord a moment. As we think about our sins being gone, it's because he was wounded for us. He was bruised for us. He went to the cross, took our place. Thank God for his grace. Amen. Well, he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquity. Just one more time now. He was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquity. our heads together. Lord Jesus, we love you today and we thank you for your goodness to us. As we sang the song of jubilation a moment ago, my sins, they're gone. Where are they? They're underneath the blood. And Lord, we thank you for that blood and that blood covering that you were nailed to the cross for us. Lord, that you took our place upon that brazen altar of your cross and you paid redemption's price we thank you now for this day that you have given us to serve you we ask for your anointing to come upon us that you would make real the word to our hearts that every need that you would supply of your people lord you see those that have gathered in different places good number of our folks lord over in dallas fort worth Brother Jason Watkins ministering there, Lord. We hear the wonderful report of last night and how the glory of the Lord just came down. We thank you for visiting your people. We thank you for using a servant of God. We ask, Lord, your blessings, Lord, upon the service today, there and here. Lord, and also where Brother Timothy is ministering in, up in northern Arkansas. I pray that you'll bless them today. And not only us here, but the bride around the world, wherever she's assembled. And many of them have already had their meeting today. As, they, as we are here in the West, and the sun will be setting here soon. Lord, may we just realize the grace of God that's been given to us in this generation. May we realize that we're such a blessed people to have been called and chosen from this day and this hour 
We ask, Lord, that you'll minister to hearts, Lord. As we look into your word, open up the eyes of our understanding. As Paul would say it, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you might know the hope of your calling. Lord, may we know that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Good to have each one of you here. We're going to look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, and verse 1 this morning for our scripture reading. And we're just uh, trusting the Lord will speak to you in a mighty way today. I want to thank you for being here, being a part of this service today. And we have a lot of our folks that are um, over in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, Brother McGarry's, for this youth um, banquet that they had there. And, and uh, so we happy that we have a sister church that we can support. Amen. Send um, 70, 80 people over there, whatever the number would have been to uh, participate in that meeting. We're just really happy, amen, to have brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't we? Amen. amen. And I'm sure you noticed, um, our, you've got the word that our youth camp has been opened up online. So um, be sure to sign up for that. And uh, if you're a young person in this church and able to go, you don't have the money for that, well, still, I want you to go sign up for it. Just let them know. Because we want you to go to camp. Amen. We know it'll be a blessing to you. And, and so uh, don't worry about the finances. Just uh, plan on going. Amen. So it's a ministry that we've had since 1987. And we've just seen souls come in uh, one after another. Just um, find the Lord in a real birthing place for God's children. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, which was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So this second veil, um, we normally will refer to it as the third veil because of the outer court, inner court, most holy. But Paul is only speaking about the two courts of the actual tabernacle. And the, and the tabernacle had the, the inner court, which um, was the holy court where the seven golden candlesticks and so on were. And then was the holiest of holies. So he said that in verse 4, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. So this is called the holiest of all. And wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. And as I have a note that this is where the shoe bread and the seven candlesticks were. But into the second, which is the holiest of holies, 
went to high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. And so we would read about this in the Old Testament, and we would see that actually that um, the priest would walk in with the, the pot of incense after having bathed and offered blood for himself and then taken the blood of a slain sacrifice. And he would take it and he would, he would sprinkle upon the mercy seat seven times. And for that seven times, it would represent that there would be blood for the seven ages. Amen. That's what it means to us in the type. So he would walk in as the high priest, but this time, you know, this was the high priest that walked in was our Lord Jesus, and he, he come in with his own blood, and for it with his own blood would make an atonement here on the mercy seat. So again, in verse 7, but unto the second holiest of holies went the high priest alone every, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Then we're going to skip down to verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not, being, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen. Then we're going to skip down to verse uh, five, uh, uh, 24, uh, uh, 924. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. So notice he enters once. He doesn't go and offer his blood and then leave like a Levitical or an Aaronic, Aaronic uh, uh, priest would. He doesn't go and offer uh, his, uh, the blood and then leave, but he sits there with the Father upon this throne of mercy. And we know when he leaves the throne of mercy is when he comes for his bride. And we're talking about the literal translation where the bride of Christ will be resurrected and the, the living changed. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 now. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not yet that he should offer himself often, nor or as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Amen. May God bless you. You can be seated. What wonderful words of life. 
Today we're going to be speaking about the mercy seat in full view. And as you, as you uh, see in the, the, here in our picture, the mural on the back, that we're showing there the, the mercy seat now in plain view. And this is very important that we understand this where we're at in time that is not a veiled mercy seat, but the mercy seat has been brought into plain view. Amen. Amen. Now, we do not have Jesus today on a brazen altar in the outer court. Now, that brazen altar, the brass, was because it was judgment. And that brazen altar was the cross. That's where Jesus gave his life. Amen. Amen. And uh, he is not today hanging on the cross and, and continually dying over and over and over again for us. That's not what he is doing. But Jesus was killed on the altar of brass, judgment, which is the cross. The, the brass altar would represent judgment. Of course, we know the cross wasn't brass. It was a wooden cross. But it was representing an a altar of judgment. Amen. And Jesus there was, was sacrificed on the altar of judgment on the cross. And, there, and from there, of course, buried and rose from the dead. And as high priest then ascended on high and his blood was taken to the golden altar. Now, not the brazen altar, but the golden altar, which is the mercy seat. This is what you're seeing right here is the golden altar with the two cherubims. Now, and so there his blood was placed upon the golden altar. And there he offers his blood for the atonement on our behalf. And this, of course, is consistent with Paul's teaching and the entire New Testament. We're going to read some more from Hebrews chapter 10 uh, as we just scripturally place some of this this morning and look into the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which we will, we are sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, I like how the scripture says it, but this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now, what does he sit down on the right hand of God? He is making intercession on our behalf. He is there making a way for us to approach the throne where that it becomes a throne of grace, which is a throne of mercy. Amen. So this is the teaching, the apostle Paul, we're skipping down to verse 19, because not only can Jesus go into the holiest of holies, but we can also enter by the blood of Jesus. So understand, um, as Brother Branham would tell you, if you'd listened to unveiling of God, he said it was a time it would have been death to enter behind this veil that we're showing here. But now it's death if you don't enter behind there. And to enter behind there means that you have to go in the presence of God. You have to come into the presence of God where you yourself are in the holiest of holies. Amen. In his presence. Now, of course, we're, it's a whole new, a whole different subject. We can preach on it, but sometimes, but you, you are represented there by the almond branch that comes to life. 
You, you are represented there by having the, the um, ability or the, the way to be able to eat of the pot of manna that never fails, the original Pentecostal experience that is fresh today. So you are represented right there as one who has went into the holiest of holies. Notice there, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness of holiness, holies by the blood of Jesus. Now, this is exactly where he says that we approach the throne of grace boldly. You see, because this is what it is for us. It is a throne of mercy. And the reason it's a throne of mercy is because Jesus is the way or the approach into the presence of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you see, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, not through the old veil of the temple, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So God veiled himself in flesh. And through that flesh veil, through the offering and the dying of Jesus Christ and the renting of his flesh veil, he made a way for us into God's presence. Amen. How wonderful this is. And so by a new and living way that is consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, through the tearing of his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, well, look what he says. Let us draw near. Amen. Now, isn't that wonderful? I mean, a people who one time could not come into this presence. And the high priest could only go there once a year. And he would have to go through all kinds of cleansing and sanctification and holiness and a holy man and a holy walk. As Brother Branham would say, you know, he had the bells and the pomegranate and he would make a noise. And he said, you know, by making the noise, we knew he was still alive. Right? And the same thing, we, we know a church is still alive when we hear the noise of the Holy Ghost. As the people are rejoicing in truth. Right? Shows the church is still alive in God's presence. So here he said, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful at promise. Oh, if we could anchor on that this morning. He is faithful as promised. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the situation is, now long, no matter how bad you're hurting or how long you've been sick. Hallelujah. Amen. It doesn't matter what your condition is or how long your children have been lost, how, how bad your situation, he's faithful that promised. Amen. So let us hold fast the profession of our faith. He's faithful, so let's be faithful. He's faithful, so let's stand true. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Amen. What wonderful words these are. Now, I'm, I'm just going to, because we're here, and Paul goes here in his scripture. And even though that I could 
maybe even save some time by not, by not going here. I, I want to just continue on reading down here because if you notice, he said, let us provoke one another to good works. So notice these good works here are, he names it, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Amen. As a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see that day approaching. Amen. So now if you'll see, as we see that day approaching, we should become even more dedicated to good works. So he tells us what the good works is, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As Brother Branham said in the breach, he said, forsaken not to assemble yourselves together as a manner of unbelievers. Notice, he, he takes it as a manner of some, as Paul said, Brother Branham said, as a manner of unbelievers. And that much more as you see that day approaching. Amen. So again, here's the emphasis your, your prophet had on going to church. I think we ought to love to come to the house of God and worship God and assemble ourselves together. Now notice uh, again, far, and now what's how it goes, far, now keep it in reference. He just told us, assemble ourselves together. Then he says, far, if we sin willfully. What's tying the two together? Keep it in context. Because his, his sin and willfully, this has something direct according to our works that we're supposed to be doing. Are you with me? For if we sin willfully after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So then, then of course, then he tells us judgment will come to those who forsake assembling themselves together. This is really important. Paul would, he would, he would put this together as sin and willfully. He said, now, now then he talks about the judgment, but a, a certain fearful looking for of judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who have trodden under the foot the Son of God, and it counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he is sanctified an unholy thing, and it done despite to the Spirit of grace. For we know him that saith, um, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Now, you can see how much emphasis Paul is putting on assembling together with other believers, even so much the more. And he even warns of the judgment that will happen to those who don't. Now, you think about that. I mean, you think about your prophet, how many times, if you just looked up Wednesday night, how many times that Brother Branham condemned the church. I'm saying condemned the church because that they neglected to come together on Wednesday night. It's important to assemble together. Amen. So, we're, we're right here. We're right here on mercy being extended. But Paul also warns right in the midst of this of being careful of bringing judgment upon yourself by not accepting and walking in that mercy. Amen. Amen? Now, now the, the remainder of this chapter deals with the discouraged soul. 
who is forsaken the assembling of, him, of themselves and are in danger of casting away their confidence. He reminds them that they once fought a good fight, enduring great afflictions. Now, in other words, he, he's reminding them, you know, you once stood for this truth. You once risked your life. You once was a gazing stock. You once was mocked and made fun of. And now you are at risk or danger of casting away your confidence. So he says in verse 32, this is the next verse, but call to remember the former days in which you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. You remember that first, that initial burst when the message came and the zeal that you had, the love for the Lord you had. You couldn't wait for the church doors to get open. Amen. You, you, you were in prayer and you were calling on God. And it wasn't a social event. It was, it was a, a, a dedicated, consecrated walk with God and you had a hunger for him. There was a zeal and a passion for the word. Remember, and partly while you was made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you become companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion on me of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods and knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and a, a, a better and enduring substance. And then he admonishes, cast not Away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Amen. So, you know, that here, receiving any promise requires patience. So hold on to it. Just hold on to your promise. Don't cast away your confidence. Stand right there and be, be faithful, believing. Amen. Doing your part. Come on, somebody. All right, now, so he, but because he reminds them then that Jesus will come as promised for you, says, for yet a little while, and he shall come and will not tarry. And I'll tell you, church, these words are more true today than they ever was. Because we're living in the end time. And then he warns them about drawing back in verse 38. Now, the just the just shall live by faith. So the righteous live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe unto the saving of the soul. Amen. How many will agree with that? That's me. Amen. Now, let's look in Matthew chapter 27, 50. And I've read the scriptures for background now we're just going to go into the message today. Matthew 27, 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Now, the renting of the veil when Jesus died revealed that there was no God on the Jewish mercy seat. Just as you're looking there and you're seeing the veil pulled back here, you can imagine that day when the veil was rent and, and there it was opened up. There was no Shekinah glory. There was no God there. There was no presence of God there. There was just 
uh, just a room with some, or, or a place that was some furniture perhaps, but there was, there was absolutely no God in Herod's temple. The Shekinah glory had long left that seat of mercy. And it had become a judgment seat. You know why they're judged? Because there's no God there to bring grace. But now, that did not mean there was no mercy. Because the the mercy now that was being offered was even greater than that which had been offered in Herod's temple. Heaven's mercy seat became revealed as something greater was described by the by the apostle Paul and he's describing the mercy seat and where it was and that Jesus was that seat of mercy and that he had gone into the heavens and that he had prepared a way for you to go into the heavens. Now this is exactly what happened in our day. This is, this is exactly what took place. God rent the veils of tradition, denominational traditions and denominational veils. And you know what it did? It revealed no God on the mercy seat. And when you look behind the veils of tradition, that's usually what you see. No God. There is no God behind traditions. He is not there. There is no God behind the creeds of man. He's missing. Now, there was no blood on their altar, and it provides no atonement to escape the judgment of the tribulation. That's why they have to go into the tribulation for their purging. Now, if you're looking, listen to me carefully. If you're looking and seeing the blood missing from the mercy seat, you are seeing what is behind the denominational veil. So if somebody is showing you a mercy seat and there's no blood, you're looking at a denominational altar. But in heaven there is a throne of grace where there is still mercy to be found and help to be found in your time of need. Now, John saw the book taken by the Lamb. He heard the thunders roar. He saw the book open by the removing of its seals. Notice that did not affect mercy. When John saw it symbolically, that's because he saw into the mind and the plan of God. And when that scene was revealed to John, it revealed the kinsman at work. He didn't see an empty mercy seat. He saw a lamb as it had been slain. And he saw the kinsman at work where the one on the throne was shown symbolically as a lamb walking out from the throne to claim the title to what Adam lost. And it it was portrayed symbolically as a lamb, but it represented the God of heaven himself becoming our sacrifice and the perpetuation for our sins. If you'll notice Revelation 1 and 5, and it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
Amen. We were not bought with the blood of, of bulls and, 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 and calves, but we were, we were bought with the blood of God. Amen. He washed us with his own blood. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Amen. Now, in our day, we come down to our day. Brother Bradham would meet with seven angels. You know the story. Represented the whole, um, the whole seven ages manifested, seven spirits of God. And these seven angels would, would, would meet him. And then he would preach what John was not able to write. We would hear preached. And we can say today, we have heard what the thunders uttered. And it, because it was revelation, by revelation that the seven seals were revealed. Are you with me now? So when the book was opened to John, he saw the throne, the lamb, and the book unsealed. He wrote of its symbols, and that did not negate mercy, nor the intercessory work, nor revoke grace, nor the blood atonement. And to open it by revelation to the seventh church angel did not negate mercy, nor blood atonement, nor did it remove Christ from the mercy seat. Rather, it revealed and proclaimed Christ on the mercy seat, making known his redemption for the seven stripes of blood or for the seven ages. Amen. So it showed him, it showed that, unto, and it would, it would last. Listen, this mercy is going to be in effect until our bodies are changed. Amen. And when our bodies are changed, we won't need any more blood. Come on, somebody. We won't need any more blood. Amen. Because we will be redeemed, totally redeemed, soul, spirit, and body. Now, so now, as we, as we look in this, I want to just show you some things as Brother Branham placed this in sequence of how and when mercy becomes over. We're looking at the sixth seal. And he, this is a prayer. He said, And Father, pour down the spirit of oil upon them, that they may be placed in the servants, uh, service of the Lord God, that they might be workers in this evil day. For we realize we have just a short time and the church might go at any time. The lamb might at any time leave the sanctuary up there or the throne of sacrifice and come up from, come forth from the throne of God where the sacrifice laid, and then it's over. There is no more hopes for the world. She's finished. Then she goes in frustrations of great spasms of earthquakes and great shakings like it was at the resurrection. Oh my. Notice now. Notice this. What's this? Next one. And as Christ rose from the grave, when the saints arise, the same thing will take place. All these earthquakes. We've been looking for a big one for a long time. Amen. It's going to happen about the same time the dead in Christ rise. And then we're going to be changed in a moment. No wonder they won't miss us. Because the whole world will be in confusion. Amen. Do you realize it will start? The sixth seal starts with a mighty earthquake. The judgments of God begins to be poured on the earth as it changes from grace, uh, the grace of the Lamb to the wrath of the Lamb. And as Christ rose from the grave when the saints rise, the same thing will take place. Lord, it could be at any minute. 
We're watching for that glad day to arise. Take your children under your arm, Father, now. Draw your little lambs to your bosom, granted, and feed them on the Word until they're in strength for service. Amen. Now, let's just review. Let's just review this. I'm going to review this piece by piece. All right? Watch what he had said. Notice, come right down into the reading. For we realize we have a, just a short time. Look at number one there. And the church might go at any time. So the first thing that's going to happen is a rapture for the church. Number one, the dead in Christ will rise. Somebody with me? And we'll be changed and we're going up. You see, we're going to fulfill that scripture said we all escape the things that are coming on the earth. All right. Now, notice two. The lamb might leave the sanctuary up there or the throne of sacrifice and come forth from the throne of God where the sacrifice laid. Notice now. Now we see the lamb might leave the sanctuary. So now here we got the church will go up. The lamb leaves the sanctuary. What happens? As the church goes up, we meet him in the air. Somebody help me preach. Amen. He comes from heaven as we go up. So now, the lamb might leave the sanctuary up there or the throne of sacrifice and come from the throne of God where the sacrifice laid. Number three, and then it's over. There's no more hope for the world. She's finished. So now if you want to know when mercy is over, the church goes up. Christ comes down to meet her. Amen. Amen. And then it's over. Then there's no, no hope for the world. She's finished. She goes right into judgment. Then she goes, verse number four, then she goes into the frustrations and spasms of earthquakes and great shakings like it was at the resurrection. Next. So you can see this is what takes place. Then she goes in the, then she goes, then she goes and, and, and the world goes into shakings and spasms. Give me that next one again. Let's look at number four or that one before, please. Now, so let's look at number four again. Then she goes into frustration. When? When mercy is over. So as long as we're here, there's mercy. That's why the cry of the bride must be the spirit and the bride saying the same thing. Say, come. Let whoever's thirsty come and drink of the water of life freely. Whosoever will, let him come. So right now, it's open for the church who will go into tribulation. It's open for people to become members of the bride. Mercy is open for everyone. It's full. It's grace. And there's something that has been provided even more. Rapturing grace for, a, for the last day to provide. Rapturing faith for a rapture. All of that is the grace being poured out. As the capstone comes down crying, grace, grace. You are in the most amazing hour of grace the world has ever known. 
the most wonderful outpouring of mercy that the world has ever known just before the judgment strikes. In the sixth seal, when the lamb was slain, the names were put on the book. Now, he was slain when? Before the foundation of the world. In the mind of God. He's standing in the holy place tonight. Look where he is. In the holy place. In glory as an intercessor. Still interceding. Making intercessions for every one of those souls whose name is on that book. And nobody knows that name but him. Aren't you glad? Amen. Amen. So no preacher can put you in or put you out. And the devil don't even know who you are. Amen. The devil tells you you're not going. He don't know. Amen. He can't even look at this book. Amen. He's not worthy to look upon it. So he don't know. But you've got to, oh my, you yourself was able to look into the book Amen. and see your name identified there. So you know things the devil don't know. The devil's still wondering. You done heard God say to you like, like he did to Jesus, you know, call him, this is my beloved son. And then the devil kept questioning, wondering, wondering, wondering. And the devil will do that to you. He'll keep questioning you over and over and over. Is your name on the book? Is your name on the book? Is your name on the book? Well, I saw my name in the book. He, he doesn't have a right to look in it. But you do to see your name. Because this is why he would give every person a white stone, a revelation with a name in it that no one knew but him that received it. Now, so he's standing in the holy place tonight. That's his position then. Making intercession for every one of those souls whose name on that book. No one knows that name but him. He's the one that's got the book in his hand. He knows when that last one comes in. Then... His intercessory days are over. When? When the last one comes in. That ties right in with what we've been preaching. Amen. When the the last one comes in, the bride is sealed in. When she, when she, the the dead in Christ rise, we which are alive are changed to be like them. Christ leaves the seat of mercy. We meet him in the air. We're caught up to meet him there. And then, then all kinds of earthquakes and judgment strikes the world. Notice, he comes forth then to claim what he's interceded for. He's doing the kinsman redeemer work now and comes forth to to receive his own. And that, of course, is the rapture. Now, in Revelation chapter 4, because I want to just see, this is just consistent with how he taught it in the church ages. This is consistent. With all of the message, this is consistent with the Bible. So so he says in Revelation chapter 4, now is the day of mercy. I'm glad we can proclaim that today. Now is the day of mercy. That's why there's healing, miracles, because there's still mercy. Amen, there's still atonement. That's why why our bodies are going to be redeemed, because why? There's still mercy. All, All of this has to do with mercy. Now, so now is the day of mercy. Now let's go back in the Old Testament here just a little bit and find out what mercy is. Go on back and see what happened to this throne. This throne, of course, is the judgment seat. 
And the reason today that there is mercy is because the mercy seed is sprinkled with an atonement blood. And as long as that blood is on the judgment seat, then it's not judgment no more. It's mercy. Because something died to stay judgment. If you see it, say amen. Amen. As long as the blood is on the mercy seat, should something die to hold back judgment. But when the church is raptured, the mercy seat becomes a judgment seat. How awesome is that? That we can know that there's still mercy today. There's still grace. Young people can still receive the Holy Ghost. Old people can too. Amen. Grace can come to you today. Set you free. Amen. Now, this is in harmony with Paul's teaching because you cannot be preaching Paul's gospel without the high priest presently atoning for sin. Somebody preaching a gospel and, and, the, and Christ is not atoning for sin, they're not preaching Paul's gospel. Amen. And Brother Brandon preached what Paul preached. Right. And we have been returned back to Paul's gospel. Right. This is a restoration, not something new. Amen. All right? Now, so again, in question and answers too, this is 1964, by the way. After the bride is raptured, will any of the foolish virgin be saved or will they all be lost? And he says, no. Now, when we're, when we're speaking about they have to accept that blood on this side of the rapture. Because once that Christ leaves the mercy seat and comes for his bride, are you with me? Yeah. And it's going to be a physical coming. Yes, sir. You see, that's what people don't understand. Revelation 10 is not a physical coming. Amen. It is a spiritual coming. It is an anointing coming down, a mighty angel coming down, descending, and, and he cries, when he cries, it's like a lion roar, which is a prophetic voice. And, and we hear that sounding through, the, the Bible said he cries with a loud voice. It's the same thing as 1 Thessalonians 4, where he shouts, because it's a cry or a shout with a loud voice. It's a message. So Revelation 10 is not a corporal coming. It is, a, it is an anointing coming down. Now, you say, has this happened before? Yeah, on the day of Pentecost, there was an anointing came down to inaugurate the church. And this is the anointing coming down to finish the church. And it's not a corporal coming. That was not a corporal coming. That was a pillar of fire. And this is the way it happened. He came down as a pillar of fire to a prophet. And we heard the message through the voice of the seventh angel. But now notice there is a corporal coming. Well, I know know, uh, some people call that today, even in the message, uh, they claim they're in the message. And they call that Pentecostal trash. But let me just say it to you. You know, that's blasphemy for one thing. But this prophet of God tells us that there is a literal Lord Jesus who is coming in a physical form. Amen. And he said, no matter how old the story seems, it's still the truth. And he said, that's what believers believe. Three kinds of believers. That's where he said it. So believers believe in a corporal coming. And when he physically leaves the sanctuary, he comes for his bride. 
And when he comes for his bride, we rise to meet him in the air. Amen. Amen. That's a corporal coming. Now, Revelation 10 is a spiritual coming. There is a phase or two of First Thessalonians 4 that we can apply in a spiritual manner, but it crescendos and ends in the physical corporal return of the Lord. Never get your eyes, never, never spiritualize this so much that you fail to see he's coming back like he said. This same Jesus whom you saw go away is coming again in like manner. Amen. And we can spiritualize it all we want to, but friends, it's got to have a physical manifestation. We can't go along just pretending something's happened. Amen. Now notice, again, after the bride is raptured, will the foolish virgin be saved or will will they be lost? See, everything will be finished for the Gentile church when the bride is taken from the earth, the Spirit of God leaves the earth, he that is filthy is filthy still, he that is righteous is righteous still. He that is holy is holy still. He's quoting scripture from the book of Revelation. In other words, the sanctuary becomes smoky where the attorney stands to plead the, the case. Now, then he says Christ leaves the sanctuary. His day of mediatorial is over. The rapture comes. He leaves the sanctuary, goes forth, takes the book of redemption, claims everything that he's redeemed, then there's no more mediatorial work. Now, we're going to go back and look at the points again in this quote that we have just went through. We're going to look at the sequence of events that he states, and it's consistent with all these other statements. It's not just an isolated quotation. He orders the events for us, all right? One Everything will be finished for the Gentile church when the bride is taken from the earth after the rapture, in other words, the physical translation of the church. Two, the Spirit of God leaves the earth. He that is filthy is filthy still. He that is righteous is righteous still. He that is holy is holy still. Now, let's concentrate on that for a moment. He's going back to Thessalonians 2. And, and he said, he that letteth will let until he, be letteth, uh, until he be taken out of the way. And he's speaking about the Antichrist being allowed to do what he's doing until, the, until he be taken away. And Brother Branham in the seals, when he talks about this, he said, when he, he said, it's she shall be taken away. Because when the Holy Ghost leaves from here, the bride goes with her. As long as the bride is on the earth, the Holy Ghost is right here. Amen. But when the bride leaves from here, the Spirit of God leaves the Gentiles. And she ascends with the Spirit. Amen. Now, notice here. Then he that is filthy is filthy still. He that is righteous is righteous still. He that is holy is holy still. In other words, you are in an unchangeable position. Uh Uh-huh. If you're filthy, nothing can change you. You're caught in that condition. You're caught in that limbo. If you're holy, that's where you want to be. Amen. We want to be there caught in that. I want to be caught being holy, righteous. Is that right? Amen. Now, number three, in other words, the sanctuary becomes smoky where the attorney stands to plead the case. Notice And when this happens, for Christ leaves the sanctuary, his mediatorial 
his days of mediatorial is over. When? When he comes for his bride. Notice then, the rapture comes. So, well, the rapture has already come. No, the rapture has not come. We have experienced the appearing of Christ. He appeared in a prophet. He's appearing now in a bride, but he's coming for us. And there's a difference between his appearing and his coming. Amen. And he, you say, well, he, he is, he is, he, this prophet came to declare he is here. Well, we're actually declaring that he's here. But we're not declaring he's here in a corporal form. We're declaring he's here in a bride form. And Brother Branham was declaring that he was there in a prophetic form, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that was, that was the appearing of Christ. We, are, we have not yet received the coming of Christ. So in the rapture, in the whole rapture, the quickening, the final quickening, yes, there is a shout, which is a prophet's message. There is the voice of the archangel, who, and, the, and the archangel is found in Revelation 10, right? The, the archangel, he said, take the book and eat it and prophesy. So then you become the archangel's voice. Somebody help me preach. And that voice is in the bride. So you see, the bride becomes the final voice to the final age under her messenger. And remember, it's a repeat of the shout. Because we prophesy again. It's not a new message. It's not a twisting of Brother Branham's message. It is not, it's not an addition to the seventh angel's message. It is a new thoughts on the seventh angel's message. We prophesy again, but this time to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So it goes into all the world to get a bride from around the world. And God's been doing that in this last 50 years through a, through a, a God-called ministry. And through you, which are part of that ministry. Notice then. So number four, Christ leaves the sanctuary. His days of mediatorial is over. The rapture comes, he leaves the sanctuary, goes forth and takes the book of redemption. Now you say, well, Brother Tim, he's already took the book of redemption, yeah? John saw him take the book, and it was symbolic. Brother Branham saw him take the book, and it was a revelation. Amen? But there is a physical taking of the book, which is the rapture. Because the believer, as Brother Branham said, are the words on the book. The book is symbolic of you, just like the lamb is symbolic of God. Amen? Of the kinsman redeemer. So when he actually takes the book, when he literally takes the book, he's taking a bride off the earth. Amen. Now, so again, he takes the book of redemption and claims everything that he redeemed. Amen. Oh, I can't wait. I have been claimed in the soul, but I'm waiting for my body to be claimed. There's another redemption promise, the redemption of the body. And we've all been waiting on it. And all creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be manifested. Are you with me? So then, then he says, there's no more mediatorial work. Now, let's go back and let's just cover these things. And I'll try not to interrupt as, and explain it as we go. Go back to, to number one, the slide number uh, there. All right. So notice. Everything, so number one, first thing that happens, everything will be finished for the Gentile church when the bride's taken from the earth. So number one, bride's, bride's taken. Amen. Two, Spirit of God leaves the earth because, because 
um, the Holy Spirit there is taken from the earth. Three, in other words, the sanctuary becomes smoky where the attorney stands to plead the case. Four, Christ leaves the sanctuary. His day of mediatorial is over. Five, the rapture comes and he leaves the sanctuary, goes and takes the book of redemption and claims everything that he redeemed. Six, there's no more mediatorial work. So when, is it, when does he cease to, to intercede? When the bride is raptured. Until then, there's going to be mercy. Amen. Is mercy over? Mercy, no. Amen. It cannot be over. Brother Brown said, don't ever you ever think that. Amen. Now, notice this. Notice this now as we look in this. You see, this has all been unveiled by the opening of the seals. You see, you can't claim that the seals are open to you and showed you a mercy seat without a high priest on it. One without the seventh stripe of blood. You cannot have the seals open. Now, you can have your tradition open and see a mercy seat without blood and see a mercy seat without God on it. But that ain't the mercy seat in heaven. That's a, that's a denomination that is like Herod's temple. When it's split open, no God. But when our mercy seat was open, it was the unveiling of God or the mighty God unveiled. So it wasn't taking away God. It was showing God, bringing him in plain view. As a merciful high priest, as Melchizedek. Not as a Aaronic priesthood, Melchizedek. Now, so when you open the blood or the veil and see no God, no Shekinah glory, no blood that will cleanse you for rapture, then you're presenting, you are presenting the condition of the Laodicean church, but you're not presenting the throne of God, because on that throne, there's a lamb that is slain. So there's a bloody sacrifice. There's a high priest. There's an intercessor. And more importantly, there is blood, the blood needed for the rapture. Do you know you need blood for the rapture? We overcome by the blood of the lamb. That's what the redeemed saints said in heaven. When Satan is cast down, the bride is shown raptured. Brother Branham tells us when Satan's cast down, bride goes up. Revelation 12, he's cast down to the earth. And immediately after he's cast down, we we see in heaven there is rejoicing because there's the raptured saints saying, we overcame him by the blood. It took blood to get us here. And without the blood, we won't be there. Amen. So there's blood needed for the rapture. Now, We'll go to the first seal and just show this. How can a man say that the bride of Christ goes into the tribulation? I can't understand it. See, she's took away from the tribulation. If the church has been judged and they have judged themselves and have accepted the blood, how can God judge a man that is perfectly, totally sinless? You say there's no such a person. Every born again believer, true believer is perfectly, absolutely.
absolutely sinless before God. He's not trusting in his works into the blood of Jesus that his confessions dropped into. Amen. Amen. The Bible said so. He that's born of God did not commit sin. He cannot sin. How can you make a man a sinner when the bleach of the blood of Jesus Christ is between him and God and that would scatter sin till there be absolute there would be nothing left of it see so how can that pure blood of Christ ever let a sin pass there he cannot do you know one of the greatest themes of Brother Branham in the whole opening of the book, opening of the seals, the whole theme to the whole thing is the power of this blood. And it's power to remit and annihilate sin and has made you perfect and without blemish before God. I mean, it's, it is, uh, it is the, the threat to the whole seals over and over and over and over. And he compares the man-made bleach with the blood of Christ. And he said, that, you know, that, that this, is a, this is a bleach of the blood that eradicates sin. It eradicates it until your sins are actually taken from you and through the process of the mediator wind back on the head of your accuser, the devil himself. Do you know, that's why you stand perfect and can come boldly through the throne of God so you can get help in your time of need. Amen. Notice. Let's look at the next one. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And how could we ever start the thought of being perfect? But Jesus required it. And if Jesus required it, he's got to make a way for it. And he has his own blood. That's where you stand today. Let, let me just say, you did not stand that way because the prophet declared you justified. And Brother Branham did declare the bride justified. Come on, somebody. But that's not why we're justified. We are justified because we accepted the atonement. And Brother Branham's only declaring what the blood did. Amen. Now, so he said, be therefore perfect. Well, how are you going to do it? Unless he comes and provides a way for it. So he's the one that makes you perfect. Amen. Now, you find fault in me and I find fault in you, but he finds no fault in you. Amen. The accuser of the brethren is really good at pointing out your failures. Amen. But there is one who intercedes on your behalf. Amen. Notice, let's look at the, the next slide. Notice these types. The reason, this is verse seal, the reason they die out. He's talking about those in the tribulation. They go through the purging of the trial of tribulation because they're not actually under the blood. They claim they are, but they're not. How can they go through a trial to purify them when the bleach of the blood of Jesus Christ takes every symptom of sin and stuff away from you and you're already dead and your life is hid in him through God and sealed there by the Holy Ghost. What are you going to be judged for? 
What are you going to have to get your purification? Where are you going to get your purification? What do you have to be purified from when you're perfectly in Christ sinless? What's the judgment for? But it's that sleeping bunch that then people can't make out. Why? Because that bunch, as he's talking about the sleeping ones, the foolish virgins, it goes to the tribulation. And they, they have to go there for further purging. And they, they further purge themselves there in the tribulation, getting a further purging because they did not accept the fullness of the word which would atone them for their sin. They only had a partial word and only would accept part of that word. And because of that, not receiving the full word, they were not cleansed from all their sins. So they wind up going into the tribulation for more purging. You know, all of these years, we've had it. You know, when the, bride, when the bride can come into her power, when the bride can come into that great day, you know, one, one day when we're going to one day get our power, when we one day get, get mature and get perfected enough, and when one day we're, we're purged enough, you know, and we'll, we'll, what we'll do is we'll go through uh, uh, persecution and We'll be a running and, and hunted, persecuted group, and, and, and we will get purged out, and then we'll love one another, and then we'll have faith, and then we'll have the power, and then we'll speak squirrels into existence, and then we'll control nature. You know what we got? We got a mentality. We got a mentality, you know, that the blood is not sufficient to purge you from your sin, so you got to have some more purging through tribulation. Through persecution. Now, I don't have time to go into this, but Brother Branham told us to his opinion it would bring rapture and faith, but it's his opinion that he was going in because he said, I don't say the Lord has told me this, but he said, I think that third pull won't be used in a great and mighty way until that squeeze comes down. Then watch that third pull then. Then he comes along and he speaks of it again in Shalom and later on finally in uh, God's word calls for total separation from unbelief. And then finally it comes down to the feast of the trumpets. And it's there that God divides for him the allotment between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says the Gentiles receive her persecution and has been pushed out of the denominations while the Jews get it in a physical manner. One comes in an ecclesiastical manner. The other gets in a physical manner. And when they get it in a physical manner, he said they're forced back to their homeland. Are you with me? By all of those spirits under the Euphrates of, of, of millions of demons that come against her and have attacked Israel, pushed her back in the homeland. He said the same thing has happened spiritually against the bride because yours comes in a spiritual manner, there come in a physical manner. So now, he receives the allotment and he realizes that it isn't persecution that's going to perfect us. He realizes the effect and the power of the blood. Watch here on this next paragraph or this next slide. What has it done? In cunningness, he said, he come in like flatteries. And what has he done? He is bringing the 
Protestant ecumenical council of the World Council of Churches, the spirit of Antichrist, upon both of them, bringing them to the slaughter, just like he did the other, in the hour to call the bride. How? Loosed in the ecclesiastical church spirit. Watch. Loosed upon what? Not upon the denominations, upon the bride. But here you get it. The bride will not go through that time. The Bible says not. The church will, but not the bride. Can't you see, ministers? Can't you see that, brethren? You say the church has to go through the persecution for the perfection of it. The blood of Jesus Christ perfects the bride. Hallelujah. Amen. A man who chooses his wife does not put her through a lot of punishment. He's already found grace too with her. She's found grace with him. He's engages to her. And if there's anything, oh, listen to this. And if there's anything, he'll keep her from every place to turn her hand. His grace is so great upon them. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I love that. Amen. Look, next. And so will it be upon the bride. And so is it on the bride. Hallelujah. Presently, right now. Amen. We unworthy creatures deserving of hell. Oh, hallelujah. But his grace holds us to it. How many were lost and blind? How many, how many sinners was there in the world the hour I got saved? God saved me for a purpose. And I'm determined by his will to do that purpose. I don't care what anything else goes. I want to do it. Hallelujah. Now, there you go. Amen. If we could only understand where we now position or where we presently stand at, we are not waiting on persecution to get us into the place where that we can do miracles. The blood placed us in that position. Even Brother Brandon would talk about in the Old Testament, he said that Moses, under the blood of bulls and goats, not under persecution, under the blood of bulls and goats, he stood there and spoke words of creation, and he said, how much more should the bride recognize who she is and what the blood has done for her? You are not waiting on some squeeze to get you in perfection. The blood has already perfected you. You're just standing there in your position and quit crying and start speaking. Come on, Moses. What are you crying to me? Speak and go forward. But how many times, you know, for years, and it's that pie in the sky that everybody keeps, or the carrot in front of the goat that's hung out there, just hang on. You know, one day the bride's going to get its power. Let me tell you, friends, that is a lie. One day she's not going to get her power. She has her power. Amen. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Amen. It's already there in the bride. All she has to do is anoint the word with faith and things are going to happen. That's all it takes. Somebody just start believing. Just one moment of believing. Confessing your sins, standing under that blood. 
and proclaiming yourself as a blood-washed son and daughter of the living God. Amen. And speaking a word of creation. Come on, church. Amen. Amen. Jack Cole would watch Brother Branham say, you know, I, I see it'll be in three days, eyeballs will form in your head. That's a word of creation. Is that right? Amen. I, you know, it was a word of creation that day that I stood there and I, and I spoke and I said, he'll give $10,000 for that Japan mission. It was a word of creation. When I stood there and I spoke, she'll be in the, in the, in the IC room tonight. She'll be in her own regular room tomorrow night. Tomorrow, the next night, she'll be in her own bed. That's the power that lays in the church. That's the power for every one of us. Amen. That's the power that, that lays within you as a redeemed son of God to stand there and proclaim that word for your own need and for your own life. That's why you've got to quit talking all this negative junk and start confessing his promise and realize he is faithful that promised. Amen. Thou and thy house shall be saved. Stand there on that promise. Confess it. Quit confessing the negative junk. Amen. Don't let anything like that come out of your mouth. Stand there and say, I claim my boy. I claim my girl. I claim my healing. I claim that for the... He's faithful. Now, the seven seals opened the book, and in the opening of the seven seals, in the opening of the book, it shows Christ revealed in seven ages. It shows his work of redemption down through seven ages and the work of the Spirit of God. So in the unveiling of God, and, and and, and be patient with me because I, I, I want to speak. I want to speak about the power of the blood. I want to speak about where we stand as believers, where the church ought to recognize where they're at. Right now, I'm trying to get you to realize we have been taken beyond the veil into the presence of God because yes, it's there we can find help in the time of need. And we're not beggars, we're sons. Too often the church is still viewing themselves as a beggar and unworthy. We were unworthy and we were beggars, but that's our past. That's not our present. That's not who we are. Quit looking in the back of what you were in sin and don't view yourself as a sinner anymore with a slave mentality and a servant mentality. View yourself as a redeemed son who would say, let me, let me just tell you, that day he filled you with the Holy Ghost. How many has been filled with the Spirit? That day he filled you with the Holy Ghost. The same thing that happened at the River Jordan happened to you. And when he, listen, the coming of the Holy Ghost was God's recognition of you as his child. It was him saying, this is my son I love in whom I'm pleased to dwell in. Jesus is not the only one that's had the River Jordan experience. Every person filled with the Holy Ghost had him say that of you. That's when he approved your faith 
and sealed you to the day of redemption. And now you've been, of course, in the wilderness, and the devil's been coming saying, if thou be, if thou be, if thou be, just use the word back on him. You are. Hallelujah. Quit questioning. Believe it. When things come up, it's not a moment to question it. It's a time to believe. Why are these things happening? Because we're men. Because it's life in this fallen world. Why is this happening to me? Quit asking why and take control. Quit having your pity party and stand up there and call God on the scene. Amen. Wake up to Jesus in your boat and calm the troubled water. Let him speak through your lips to bring the, the calm in your troubled water. You're a son of God. That's who you are. Now, all right, the opening of the seals, this unveiling of God. Brother Brown said it's been veiled to the ages according to what God said. And it will be opened in the last days. Those seven seals would be broke. And the full thing would come into the view of the people. What's took place all along. And the hour of the seventh angel's message and all the mysteries of God should be made known in that Elijah in this last hour. So now from the ripping of the veil, the opening of the veil comes back the message, you've been pardoned. You know, the opening of the veil shows a God rich in mercy. Amen. Amen. The open veil shows that the token of the blood is provided for a rapture. A free pass from the death angel that is going to the land. Yeah. You got a free pass. Amen. He's got a pass over you. Because you got the blood. Amen. Are you with me? So the ripping of the veil or the opening of the veil to taking the traditions off of God showed a God rich in mercy. Amen. Showed a God who pardons. Amen. Don't we realize what happened? Now, I'm, you know, you're a smaller group today, and so I'm taking, slowing this down and teaching a little bit, but be attentive now. But don't we realize what the opening of the seven seals did? It canceled the debt of all the ages. It would pull the seals back and reveal the liens, yes. the claims that the devil had on the church while we couldn't be raptured. Luther had a claim on it. He believed in three gods. Baptized in titles. Actually, he didn't baptize. He sprinkled. They say he smoked a pipe. Not sure whether he did or didn't, but they say he did. But whatever he did, I know he cursed and hated the Jews. He had a lot of things mixed up. Amen. And so, you know, so did we. When we come down here in this last day, we had all kinds of things mixed up. But God, when he opened the seals, he was canceling the debt and paying, putting, applying the blood to the liens that were against us. Until we are a people today that the devil has no claim on. We don't have his baptism. We don't have his Godhead. We don't have his merry worship. Come on. Amen. We don't, we don't have anything. As Jesus said, that Satan has come and he had found no part in me. That's what this bride is in this last day of people he has no part in. Amen. Beautiful. 
So then why then do we want to go back and take traditions of men after it's been opened to us and get claims against us again? Stay true. This message freed you. Let's go to Shalom. The message Shalom. Just exactly like he showed us the seven church ages. What would come? Just exactly what he showed us what would come when he set that light up there in Revelation to it to show the world. When he sent the seven angels to, to reveal the seven messengers that had been down through there to show those loose ends. Each angel coming each day and revealing the loose ends that Luther left and Wesley left and Pentecostal left. Pentecost left. It's all represented in there. And in the very type and shadow of the great Shalom, Jehovah, J-B-H-U, see exactly, uh, showed, uh, throwed it in the skies, and there is a mechanical eye taking a picture of it. See, thank the Lord. Amen. Uh, it, 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 this is what happened. He took all the loose ends. Things they couldn't get to, things they couldn't, they couldn't tie together and tied it into a glorious message. That's what happened in our day. It isn't a new message. Let me repeat that. It is not a new message. It's the gospel that Paul preached. So, well, Paul didn't know the seals. Paul didn't need to know the seals. It wasn't sealed to him. And when Jesus paid the price in full and the book was opened, it's the deeds of the Antichrist that closed the book and sealed it. Amen. That's what caused the book to be closed and sealed up. What closed it up? It was a, it was a trinity God, baptism, a, a, a trinity of gods. All, all these things began to close the book up to us. And it was the opening of the seals that opened it back to us. To show it, it isn't three gods. It isn't Mary worship. It isn't a pope. It isn't Nicolaitanism. It's not denominationalism. It isn't us foreign no more. That's not it. Amen. And it's not a new message. Brother Branham would say, the Bible became a new book. Didn't say we got a new Bible. He said the Bible became new. Why? Because it was totally unlike the Lutheran interpretation, the Baptist interpretation, the Methodist interpretation. Now, you see, it's not a new message. Brother Branham told us the seals opened up and revealed serpent seed, eternal security, no eternal hell, water baptism, marriage and divorce. All of these things, he said, was the result of the seals being opened. It can make plain marriage and divorce. Make plain the trail of the serpent. Make plain um, the eternal security, no eternal hell. Made all of that plain. Why? Because the loose ends that they couldn't figure out, that they left hanging, were now tied back into the scripture. And misapplied ends were put back in the right place. Somebody help me preach. This was not a reformer. This was a prophet 
raising the valleys of neglected truth and pulling down the heels of exalted ideas of man. Usually, you see, this was not something outside of the Bible. This is a restoration of Paul's teaching. What, what did Brother Branham, when he went beyond the curtain of time, you preach what Paul preached. Amen. Amen. Well, what was it over and over and again, you know, uh, he would tell, restoring, restoration of the original faith, the original doctrine. Paul, or Jude said, and let us earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. You got it. That's what this message gave you, was that faith again. The apostles' doctrine. Now, it took the veil off of the original sin. It showed the Redeemer coming with a birth that can undo the first birth. Listen to him in power transfer, transformation. He said, now you heard me preach on serpent seed, and that cannot be denied. That was, that was opened up in one of those seven seals. It was hid. You said, well, Brother Branham even preached on that. Yeah, he probed at it just like everybody else probed at it. Amen. But when the seals were open, we're not probing anymore. We're not guessing anymore. This is God's vindicated word that we're standing on today. Now, this is, this is what serpent seed is, what John the Baptist preaches, what Jesus preaches, what Paul preached. It's not revealing something that Paul didn't see or that the New Testament didn't declare, but it was revealing what was failed through the dark ages by the theologians and the reformers who was failed to uh, uh, unveil it. Amen. And so they left all these loose ends. And it's a loose end to think that eating an apple caused all the sin. That's a big loose end. Hanging out there. Nobody knows what to do. They're looking at it. You know, I, I, was, I was testifying to somebody, I think it's Brother Darrell today, about Brother Jonathan Legra because we're about to put on our sign some things as people pass by. We, we, we were able to get some things fixed and we're about to put some things on there that's been part of my vision for it to, to witness to people as people pass by. Now, not take away your witness, but, but also to be a witness here where people driving by this busy highway is, as I said, the evening light has come out from under the bushel. Amen. We're out here where everybody can see. Amen. And here, here as people are driving by and they're, look, they're looking, I, wanna, I wanted to say, you know, was it an apple? I wanted to say things like that, you know, about the original sin and some of the things that have pricked people's minds and start to call, causing them to inquire. Reminds me of Brother Jonathan Allegra. He lives in part of what was formerly Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia one of the Slavic nations there that split up. But he was going to high school. And this young Catholic girl, you know, he heard it, had, had said that she liked him, you know, and thought he was a nice boy. So as they passed one another in the hall, he just looked over at her and said, was it an apple? And kept on walking. After she thought about that for a while, she come running to him and said, what do you mean, was it an apple? And he got to explain to her serpent seed. And she saw it. 
Amen. It opened her eyes and started bringing her out of Catholicism. Amen. Yeah, and that, that young girl later become his wife. Beautiful young lady. By the way, she could, when I was in Croatia there and was preaching in Serbia, actually, she, com, she complained when I was there. And I, she said, Brother Tim said, I know everywhere else you preach two and three hours. You are cheating us while you're preaching here. You're not preaching long enough. Amen. I, I think, uh, think again, you know, when you had that first love and had that fervor for God. When you were gazing stock to the world. Don't cast away your confidence. We're at the end. We ought to make every moment of this count. Put everything we got into every service. Press in harder than we ever press. Because if any soul draw back, he had no pleasure in that. He only has a pleasure in those souls that press and press and take it by force. And that's what you got to do in this hour. Amen. It ain't ain't compromising and slowing down and was putting more in it. It was Elijah the prophet. He was sent um, for dispensational purpose to turn the hearts of the children. Somebody help me. Remember, I mean, surely you've heard the tapes over and over. To do what? To turn our hearts where? Back where? To the apostolic fathers. So this is the job of Elijah. To reinstall what Paul preached. Not a new gospel. What Paul preached. Amen. And he said, it didn't come in word only, but it came in power and much assurance. Because God didn't want your faith to rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And I say, how dare we turn this gospel of ours into just an intellectual conception where our new birth is just easy believism instead of a real experience with God where you weep your way to Calvary and you die at that cross like Jesus died on your brass altar. By the way, he didn't die in the heavens. He died on the earth. In order for you to go into heaven, you've got to die to sin here on the earth. You won't be accepted in that place. Elijah would put the stones back in place. He brought Israel back to the atonement. And then the Shekinah glory fell, the pillar of fire. And church, when this God was unveiled in this day, what did we see? It put everything back in place. He didn't show us another church. It didn't show us our favorite preacher or personality cult. It showed Christ on the mercy seat. It showed a God who's rich in mercy, who pardons. Oh, listen, listen, uh, let's just kind of cement this down as we go along. Uh, question answers four, listen. And if, now, if you're really wanting to go somewhere to stay with the word where our message, and our message is no different, it's the same message you heard all your life, only something more has been revealed to it. 
This message is the same message Luther preached. Same message that Wesley preached. The same message the Pentecostal preached. Only something added to it. What is it? It's the revealing of the seals, what them reformers left off that's been made known in this day could not be made known then. The same message. We preach in justification like that Luther preached justification. Only more has been revealed. We're preaching sanctification in a greater way. And when the baptism of the Holy Ghost, not some phony manufactured tongue, but a real Holy Ghost experience that changes a life. Amen. So you see, we're not, we don't have a new gospel and a new message. This message is the message you heard from the beginning. The Pergamian church age. Brother Branham talks about Moab represented the Nicolaitans. Now you see just a minute, Israel represented the true church. And Balaam was one of the the bishops and popes, watch and see now, carnal Christianity. Now we'll notice that he was gifted, talking about Balaam, no doubt about it. Many of them fine speakers, doctors of philosophy and great men. You can't deny that. But having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Go back to that original Pentecost. Don't get away from there. If when you do, you're lost. Stay with that blessing. That's it. The blesser of the blessing. Now, this is during the church ages. When when God was opening up the symbolic book of Revelation. And Brother Branham is preaching to us. Go back to that original Pentecost. Don't get away from there. If when you do, you're lost. Stay with that blessing. And he establishes all through there that Pentecost is our pattern and we must match Pentecost. We're not talking about Azusa Street. They didn't match. We're talking about the end time bride must match Paul's gospel. (laughs) Amen. Feast of the trumpets. Now we come into a 64th sermon after the seals. It don't change. Between the sixth and seventh trumpet, there's a prophet to appear before the Gentiles to call the people back to the original Pentecostal doctrine. And the two witnesses of Revelation to appear to Jews to send them to Jesus while the bride or the church is being taken up. Again, he says, Feast of the Trumpets. Now in Malachi 4, we see here that this is supposed to be done to restore what? The faith of the people back to the original fathers. The Pentecostal doctrine, the original fathers. Notice, we are to come back to what Paul taught, to the original Pentecostal doctrine. Notice, again, in future home, what is it? A restoration back to the first day, the first. And he will restore the hearts of the children back to the fathers, bringing a restoration again of the Pentecostal genuine not sensations, and will manifest the evening light, the same sun that showed in the morning light, as promised for the day. Amen and amen. So here your prophet is saying that it's bringing us back a restoration to the Pentecostal genuine. In birth pains, Brother Brandon would say this, his 65 sermon. She is to be the same bride, the same kind, 
built out of the same material that she was at the first place. He just has referred to the vision of the bride and that the, the one he saw in the beginning is the same one in the end. Now read Malachi 4 and see if we're not supposed to have a message in the last days that will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, back to the original Pentecostal message, word by word, brothers, we are here. Amen. Amen. This is what God has done. Turn us back to the original Pentecostal message, word by word. Amen. Now, not back to Azusa Street. They only got a partial look behind the veil. And even today, they still hide the, the atonement needed, or they still are lacking the, the atonement needed for the rapture, and they're hiding it behind the veils of traditions, keeping the people veiled from it. Now, let's go into the church age for a moment as we just seal this in. What about the true seed? It will happen just as we said. The people of God are being made ready by the word of truth from the messenger of this age. In her will be the fullness of Pentecost. For the Spirit will bring the people right back to where they were at the beginning. That is, somebody help me say this. Thus saith the Lord. Lord. Do you ever hear a prophet say that? Here's what he said would happen. In her will be the fullness of Pentecost. For the Spirit will bring the people right back to where they were at the beginning. That ought to make every one of us shout this morning. To realize that's what the Holy Ghost is doing in this last day. Bringing us back to the original word. For in her will be the fullness of Pentecost. Now then he explains. It's not only thus saith the Lord from a prophet. But it's also scriptural. He said it's thus saith the Lord. For it's what says in Joel 2, 23 through 26. Be glad then ye children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately. He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. Oh, what an hour we're living. Do you realize in the same season, in the same church age, we have had the former rain and the latter rain. We've had a teaching rain and the harvest rain. And we are right now in the, in, the, in the harvest rain. And let me just say, if the former rain was great, were that God was teaching them and, and bringing them through Azusa Street and moving them on from there and all of that and come with the prophet, begin to teach his message, and all of that was great and anointed and powerful, how much more powerful Amen. would be the harvest rain or the latter rain? And that's what we're in, the latter rain. This is it. The message. And I'm going to tell you, if it don't prepare you for a rapture, ain't nothing else coming that can do it. Unfortunately, the rain cannot change the grain of seed. It only makes it manifest. But what will be? The floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. You talk about spirit and spirit of revelation. Amen. And plenty of word. Come on. And I, not just word only, but wine and oil to go with it. Somebody help me preach. Amen. Word that there's stimulation of revelation where the shout of the king is in the midst. 
and I will restore to you, praise God. This is going to bring about a restoration. The years that the locust has eaten, and the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palm oil, my great army which I sent among you, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that it dealt wondrously, well, wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Look at this great promise. I will restore what they missed in Luther and Wesley and down to the ages and, and the ones that got ate down by the, by, by the four horse riders. I'm going to restore all of that. And you're going to be eating in plenty. There, there will be a lack of nothing. And the word will be in abundance. And there won't be no lack of spirit. And there won't be no lack of revelation. And there won't be a lack of the power of God. There won't be any kind of lack. There's no sense to be starving in this hour. No sense to be hungry. There's no sense to go without healing and deliverance and salvation for our children. There's no sense that we can't have a move of God in our church service, ever service. Because if this is a day of plenty, this is not a day of lack. This is a day of plenty. I'm pouring out my spirit, saith God. And I poured out on all flesh. Everybody can get it. Now it says God's going to restore. The Lutheran age did not restore the church. It started Reformation. The Western age did not restore. The Pentecostal age did not restore. But God is going to restore for he cannot deny his word. This is not the resurrection of the church. It is the restoration. Oh, listen to this sentence. God will take the church right back to Pentecost of the beginning. Hallelujah. Brother, we we ought to be looking for angels more and more. The supernatural more and more. Healings more and more. Amen. The word manifests in salvation more and more. Our expectancy ought to be greater in this hour than any other hour. We ought to be coming not in complacent. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't forget, you know, you know, yeah, you've had need of patience. Yes, we've been long waiting. Yes, we've tarried a long time. But don't give up now. Don't throw away your confidence. Believe now more than you've ever believed. For he will come that promised. Notice verse 25 tells us we need, why we need restoration. The locust, canker worm, caterpillar, palm worm have all but eaten the root and a small branch of the stem. Now we're told these insects are all one and the same in different stages. That is right. They're the Antichrist spirit manifest in organization. Denomination, false doctrine to the ages. And that poor little root and stalk is going to be restored. God isn't going to plant a new church, but he's going to bring his original planting back to original seed. He's doing it as stated in verse 23 by the teaching rain or former rain. Next will come the harvest rain or rapture and faith. And that's what happened to us by the opening of the seals. It released the revelation that we're here in the last days because we're the people who have heard what the thunders uttered. We are the people who Elijah has been sent. Amen. Oh my, what an hour. 
Oh. But yet, Brother Bradham, it says that the old traditional veil has been rent. Look at this. So now in this age, when the old denominational traditional veil has been rent from the Word of God so it can be manifested, you see what I mean? The tradition says all these things are past. Let it soak a little bit. The things are past. But in this last day, that traditional veil has been rent apart. And here stands the pillar of fire for, see, here he is manifesting the word for this day. The veil is rent. Now the world still, they don't believe it. No matter what, they don't see it. They don't see it. It wasn't sent to them. It's like Brother Craig sent me a quote where Brother Branham said, you know, that Caiaphas is walking in the temple the next day. He saw the rip in the veil. He said, well, we're going to have to sew that up again. And that's been the attitude. Well, we'll just put up another veil. But let me tell you, God rent the veil of tradition. Notice now, it was, it was what kind of things were they saying were past? The apostolic age. Apostolic order. Come on, somebody, help me preach now a minute. Stop and think what's been going on. Traditional veils that have been happening. Well, we don't need preachers in the pulpit anymore. We just play a tape, a recording. That's not the Word of God. That's not apostles' doctrine. Come on. Well, we don't have to go to church. We can just get our church by staying at home and listening to tape. That's not apostles' doctrine. That's another veil. That's a lie of the devil to keep you out of God's presence, to keep you from, from obeying the word of God and bringing you into disobedience so that you're under the curse of God. Amen. What things are they saying in the past? Well, the apostolic age. In the apostolic age, there was apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. In the apostolic age, we, Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. Amen. Paul said, you know, the time would come when they would not endure sound doctrine, but preach the word. Amen. Over and over, I mean, come on. You know, they, they, today, you know, there are false prophets with their veil of tradition that says that day is past. What other thing? Days of miracles are past. Now, people won't actually come out and say it, but any time that we do not have that working in the church, we are saying it by our actions. Amen. So, so there again, you know, veils the tradition. The days of miracles are past. And that, that, that thought has now permeated. Well, since the prophet was here, nobody can have prayer lines. Do you, do you realize some of the things that I've come up through? All the legalism that I have had to fight through to this day. You start a youth camp where the young people can weep their way to Calvary and get in the presence of God. And what do you have? All these naysayers coming along with their legalism. Saying, you know, well, that ain't right, and it can't be right, and God don't do that. When God's going to have the greatest youth camp there ever was one day. Amen. Won't be no old people there. 
Amen. You know, I mean, listen, when I started out from my first sermon, elder ministers said, God ain't calling more preachers. It's over with. Because my brother and I both preached out of the same family. God never called two preachers from the same family. Every kind of stumbling block in the way. Amen. I'll tell you, in those years, the only encouragement I had was old brother Jack Benton who would come with his guitar and, and beat it and sing and pat me on the back and encourage me and say, keep on doing the, what's right, brother Tim. Keep preaching. Amen. It was a difficult time. Traditions. You, you know, don't sing only believe anymore, you know, when, when you come out to, to preach because that's only for Brother Branham, so we quit singing only believe. Not to lay hands on the sick because only Brother Branham could do that. Veils of tradition. They started early. Amen. As soon as he was gone, they started the tradition of return ministry and said, well, he's got to come back. Well, he will. He'll come in the resurrection. But not before then. The only time he'll ever preach is as a mortal. And it's over. He's done his job and it was done well. He finished his message. Amen. The mysteries have been revealed. We don't need him to come back to preach. We need to believe what he preached. Amen. Traditions. That wanted to deify him until we so deified every word Brother Branham said until we, we made every word, thus saith the Lord, and forgot he was a human. And now people are discovering he's human. And they're shocked. And we ought to figure out a long time ago that he was a man. So you're surprised? So, well, he exaggerated here. Well, are you surprised? Well, he did this. He, you know, he, 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 when he told the story this time, he didn't tell it exactly like the time before. Oh, and so you're surprised he wasn't God with a perfect memory? Traditions. Ideas of man. Things that have been started that's got stuck in our mind. We need to let the blood wash us. Where we, where we realize that, that days of miracles are never past. That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. That the word of God abides and lives forever. That it's true. Come on, church. Now, so again, Brother Branham said in the, in the message, unveiling of God. And so now in this age, when the old denominational and traditional veil has been rent from the word of God so it can be manifest. See, you see what I mean? The tradition says all those things are past. Let it soak a little bit, Lord. Those things are past. But in this last day, that traditional veil has been rent apart. And here stands the pillar of fire. And here he is manifesting the word for this day. The veil is rent. Look at the next slide. Then when God in mercy rent the veil for them to see, they were so wrapped up in their traditions it was still hid to them even to this day. Same now. The glory, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory that comes upon the believer, and I mean the real believer, that causes the works of God and the faith to come into him to believe the word of God. That's all hid to them eyes. And they say them things are past. You see, they are still living behind the veil 
Oh, but listen, but you're not behind that veil anymore, little ones. God has come in the pool full view to you. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. God has come in full view. Notice he says all the glory that's in God is in the word. And all the blessings that's in God is in the word. It is hid to the unbeliever from the traditions and people say, well, Brother Tim, it's not emotions. It's not signs. It's not healing. It's not wonders. It's not, the, it's not this Holy Ghost you're talking about. We got the word today. But all the glory that's in God is in the word. Amen. All the blessings in God is in the Word. So if you got the Word, come on. You're going to have the power of God. You'll have the Holy Ghost. You will have emotions. Yeah, you'll even have sensations because sensations with it. Amen. You'll have amens and glories to God and the shout of the King and the power of the living Christ living out in His people. Because why? You got the word. If you have the word, you got all of it. Some churches, all they have is sensation. We don't want a church with just sensation. We want the word that brings sensation. Some, they have this, but not all the word. That, not all the word. We want it. You say, well, I'm in Christ. And you believe in three gods? Let me back up. Let's read that quote again. It's hid to the unbeliever by tradition. See what I mean? But it's all in Christ. And all that God was, he emptied himself. Kinos. He came into Christ. And here we are into Christ or behind the veil. Now let's stop just a moment. All that was in God, he poured into Christ. Remember the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New. He was only changing his mask. So all that was in God, he poured into the mask, Christ Jesus. Now all that's in Jesus, he pours into another mask. Somebody help me. The church. Right? So it's God and his people. That's the Holy Ghost. So Brother Branham would preach, not three gods, but God in the universe, God in his son, and God in his church, in his people. So you see, this, this, is, this is God. This is how that he works. So it's kinos. So now, we are in the day where he pours out. Can I say it? He finishes pouring out his spirit. Amen. He's been doing it since the day of Pentecost. Amen. And here we're in the last day where he tips the vessel. That all that is in Christ is poured out into his church. Amen. Kinos. What's now what he says? Now, he said, well, I'm into, you say, well, I'm into Christ, you say. And then believe there's three gods, baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Believe in all these traditions and things you believe in of all the, of the elders. No, you're still behind the veil. See, come into the veil. He is, he, Christ, is the word. Say, how? I, I don't believe in divine healing. I don't believe in these miracles and things like that. You know, well, you're not in side the veil. You don't know nothing about it. Christ is the word. And when we are in the word, we're in Christ. And how 
can I be in Christ denying Christ? It was he that said, not one word should be added to or taken from. How can you take from that and add to it? It shows that your veil, it shows what your veil has got you veiled away from. Now, you see, that's exactly where we're at today. They've put other veils up and veils and veils and veils. And even now, I just, just heard a quote the other day that uh, what Brother Branham said. He was there in the discernment line and he, and he said, See, Satan, that is not true. And then he stops and he says, You don't think the, the devil just talks to you, do you? He talks to me too. Can you imagine he's standing right there in the platform and the devil is trying to get him to disbelieve. And you wonder, you getting, the devil comes to you with unbelief? It happens to us all. You got to resist him. You got to turn him down. You got to stand there and realize, listen, when that is true, now, when all believers see him, the word of promise for this day openly manifested. That's a big word if you can get it. All true believers that's in the word see God openly. The veil is rent and God stands openly before you manifested. See, God manifested open in order to do this. Our old denomination traditional veil must be rent again. In order to see what it really is, you've got to come out from among that stuff. See, you'll never do it. They keep pulling that veil before you every time. Oh, there's nothing to that. But here it is written and here it is made manifest, you see. In order to do this, our denominational veils must be broke by God's spirit and fire and sword, in his, which is his word. Always his word is his sword. And he took his sword that day full of fire and ripped that veil from top to bottom. And the same thing with the same sword today. Not my creed, my book of creeds, my catechism, but the sword of the Lord rips the veil down and you seek God standing in plain view, manifesting in his word. What a glorious view to look at. All right, God's Holy Spirit and fire, his sword rips it. The word rips the denominational veil. There it is. What happened? God come in the plain view in this day. And what do we see? We see a lamb who paid the price of redemption. Seven stripes of blood, blood on that mercy seat, the Shekinah glory. And when we see the veil open, we're not seeing a church or a veil or behind the veil and there's no God on the mercy seat. We're seeing God present with his people. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Little children, you're not behind the veil anymore. God has become unveiled to you. We're not looking through Nicolaitanism, ideas of man. We're looking right straight in the presence of God, in his presence, where there's fullness of joy. Don't go and let some veil come between you and God now. Be able to say there's nothing between my God and my Savior. Stand there right there on that word of promise, and you'll see every word come into divine vindication. This is kind of glory. I wonder what's missing today. Even among our message churches, when you look, there's no Shekinah glory there. 
They've left it behind. They've replaced it with creeds. And they call it the word. And if the word was there, signs would be there. If the word that would be was there, healings would be there. If the word was there, the Holy Ghost would be present and powerful. You see, church, we must worship God without a veil between us and him. There was a time. It was, it was death to go in there. But now if you don't go in there, you're going to be left behind. It's death. Tribulation waits. What an hour. What a day. He's the real mercy seat. And the whole thing was to bring Christ right down to you where that he would be seen in plain view. I want to just close now. And I'm just going to close here with this little quotation. Because, you know, they came to Brother Branham. How many remembers um, a Brother Green that came here, had signs all over his truck, an old man came here to, to this church. How many remembers that old Brother Green? Fred. Fred Green. He was from Tucson. He walked up to me. You know, he had those haunting blue eyes. He looked at me and he says, I am the man that Brother Branham tells about in the unveiling of God that walked up to Brother Branham and said to him, Brother Branham, you see what your problem is, is you're trying to present to this church and to the people an apostolic age. He said, the apostolic age is over. And Brother Branham stood there and very kindly just began to talk to him. And he said, you know, he said, uh, you a theologian? He said, yeah, well, he said, where'd you graduate from? And he told me, he said, that figures. He said, you know, if you're, if you're a Bible student, you've got to believe the Bible. He said, you know, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he inaugurated the church, he said, repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he said, for the promises unto you and to your children and to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he said, so, sir, you know, the apostolic age is on as long as God's still calling. So first of all, he believed, and he tells us in unveiling God, mighty God unveiled, you know, in other places, he, he recounts his story again and again of this man coming up to him and telling him, we are not living in an apostolic age. And Brother Branham told us clearly, first of all in that, that God was still calling and that the apostolic age is still in in work today and is still happening right today. It's in effect. So he comes right down along the line and he he just pins old Brother brother Green's ears back. And and Brother Green said, you know, I, I got a real bad cold. He said, I think you do both naturally and spiritually. And I think the church has got a cold today. When they think in their mind, they're a little cold on God. And somehow or another, they don't think that we can have 
even what's been manifested through the ministry of God's prophet today. Master, if you can bring that down to slide 66. I want to show you we should be advancing in this age. Slide 66. Believest thou this? Should be numbered. I don't know how yours is. But he says, and believest thou this? Here 300 years ago, a French scientist proved that if you could go at terrific speed... A 35-mile-an-hour gravitation would take you off the earth. You think science would refer back to that today? They're going 1,900 miles an hour and still going on. They're pressing forward, looking forward. But we want to look back and see what Moody said, Sankey said, Finney said, Knox. Some of those, what they said was all right. That was for their age. But we are going on. My grandfather rode an ox cart. I'm driving a Ford V8. My son will fly a jet plane. That's, we're moving on. That's what religion ought to be. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The church ought to be moving on into the powers. Science can climb, only climb so far, and then it has to drop off. But we got untapped sources that's never been touched of the power unlimited of God that we ought to be moving into. We are living a million miles under our privilege of privileges of Christians to be enjoying. I feel ashamed of myself when I look out there and I see the institutions and the sickness and the troubles that are going on right now. Our church. Are you with me? Our church ought to be walking the streets healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, doing signs and wonders, making the whole world realize that Jesus Christ lives. That's what we need to be done or doing. That's what the church ought to be doing. Amen. I'd like to just show you, that was pre-63's quote, but let me just show you one. After that, after Brother Branham preaches in 1965, now God of this evil age, listen to this. And now she's caused the whole world to accept the scientific leadership of the educational program that Satan given to her under the name of a church, the leadership of an educational uh, scientific program. I'm picturing to you the God of this world. And I think, brother, when we have turned this message in just to lectures... Are you, are you with me? Into theories and theology and philosophy. It's got to be preached in power. I'm picturing you the God of this world. I think we have been affected by it. When she is even taking the very filling of God's word in her hand, she could have taken God's word. Uh, she had the very filling of God's word in her hand. She could have taken God's word. But what did she do? That instead of tarrying for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, let science prove to her that the Holy Ghost was only for disciples. Instead of keeping divine healing going, 
which she ought to be now raising the dead and doing great miracles. She's let Satan under his leadership of religious man take the word of God and try to say it was for another age and she's believed it. And I wonder how many have bought into that lie. But God broke the veil. Amen. He did it for Jack Cole and he could see there was mercy and healing and deliverance. I say, oh God, we're people that are supposed to be looking with no veil. Amen. To God, what, what can't we see today? He's still God. He's still our healer. Still our deliverer. Still our savior. A God of miracles. A God of healing. Why can't we come with an expectation and be the church that God promised? Oh, yeah, you're going to wind up in the tribulation somewhere, but it won't bring the power of God. What it'll bring to you is the realization you missed the rapture. All the persecution in the world you've been waiting on, when the squeeze comes, all of this, and when it comes, you're too late then. Amen. It's good time we realize, church, we're under the blood. And because we're under the blood, things happen. Miracles happen. Healings happen. Deliverance happen. Watch this now. When the Bible said, the things that I do shall you do also. It's John 14, 12. And you know Traditionalists came along, put up a veil. I got it right out there in a the nugget book. Pick it up. John 14, 12 was only for Brother Branham. Fails. The things that I do say you do also. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We're still creatures. Apparently, Brother Branham still thought we ought to be preaching. These signs shall follow them that believe. She denies every bit of it. She denies all the supernatural. She swapped it for his intellectual conception of the Bible where priests and holy fathers so-called were bishops and archbishops were district presbyters and general overseers and so forth has put their own interpretation to it and God has left them set their dead as 12 o'clock. I'd say don't let that describe us. Let's be a people that's on fire for God. A people who know their God and do exploit. And the only thing left in the last days is a bunch of little Pentecostals with a bunch of music whooped up as hard as they can, running up and down the floor, speaking in tongues and shouting, having a form of godliness, but denying the word thereof, telling them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and laugh at your face. But, but that God goes right on making it just the same Proving his word to be so. You say, well, Brother Tim, that pretty well describes y'all, right? You know, a bunch of little Pentecostals with a bunch of music whooped up as hard as you can, running up and down the floor, speaking in tongues and shouting. And the pendulum has swung back the other way. And all, and all we're offering to God is a bunch of intellectual knowledge, no life, no anointing in our music, no tongues, no shouting, just as dead as the rest. Come on. You see, we don't want to be either one of the extremes. We don't want to just turn our church into just a bunch of bubble dancing. And when the bubble dance bursts, we don't dance anymore. Amen. You know, are you, are you with me? 
I mean, we don't want to be just a, you know, just, just come back and work ourselves up to where Azusa Street was. We want to see the power of God manifest itself, same yesterday, today, and forever. But why? You know, you, you look over here. He said, all we have left. I'm going to say, message churches don't have that left. They don't even have good music. They don't even have whooped up singing. They don't even have people running up and down, dancing the altar, speaking in tongues and, and, and shouting. They don't have any of that. So they have nothing left. Brother Brandon said, the Pentecostals, all they had left was that. And you get message churches and they don't have that left. I say, we need to come back under the blood. Because when the blood, when, when I see the blood, I'll pass. And when you see that blood, under that blood, there will be miracles and signs. And that's what I want to preach to you on the next time, is the people under the blood. Because when we realize where we are and where we stand, that we're not bound anymore by traditions. We've been loosed by the end time message. So let's come back to the word. Let's come back to the power of God. And in there, give me that last one. The very, the very last slide. I want to bring it to you. Go to where it starts, please. The one before. This is from the Easter seal, 1965. How many's with me? And you are you and you are quickened. And this quickening power brings your body into a raptured condition already. Notice what he said a raptured condition would be. Notice the Pentecostal people up there, when they got quickened by the Holy Spirit, listen to me. When that those Pentecostal group up there on the day of Pentecost received their abstract deed from God, sure. It glorified their souls. They screamed. Next. They saw tongues of fire separated upon each of them. And it so quickened their body till they couldn't even speak in an earthly language anymore. It quickened their body to a heavenly language, the place they're going to. The quickening power of God shook their mortal bodies so until their entire mortal language was transfigured, transformed into an immortal language. What a quickening power. What something that belongs. Now, brother, I'll tell you, when we, that's what we're talking about coming back to Pentecost. We're not talking about just a bunch of dud, bubble dancing. We're not talking about just the empty lives. And you scream and shout in church and have a sensational time and go back and live the same old life. But we're talking about people who have come in the presence of God and are forever changed. And they never leave that presence. Because he said, I'll be with you wherever you go. Therefore, the church becomes Jesus Christ in action on the earth. Not something we're just talking about. And church, I'm coming back to you. There's too many times we've left this out, holding it like one day, one day, one day. It'll arrive one day. One day is going to come when that church gets her power, when she 
And I want you to quit thinking about that carrot out there. I'm holding no carrot before you. I'm telling you, it's good, eat it. It's not out of your reach. It's not something we're striving for. It is a place we have arrived. And because we are here, we're seeing his signs among us. Because he is, he is here, we are seeing him come down and heal cancer. We are seeing him come down and put hair and restore back the glory to a young girl. Come on, we are seeing him in our midst, coming down and changing lives forever in his presence. I'm just saying to you, church, eat of the land is good. Reach in the pot. Because behind this veil is a pot of manna just like was given on the day of Pentecost that was put up and reserved for your generation for you to taste of and receive just like they received there for the promises unto you and your children. And the apostolic age never ceases. It's on right now. Let's bow our heads together. Let the musicians come. Play softly, I'm one of them. Father, you see the words of, that have been spoke this morning. And Father, we've labored as we have just labored along, Lord, just kind of carefully placing these quotations to see where we ought to be, what we were promised. And Lord, we are here. As Brother Branham said, and we've repeated it, the veil is open, little children. May we realize it's ours for the taking. How long will people sit in a backslidden condition and not get under the blood? But when they come under that blood, there's power, wonder-working power. <laughs> Speak to every heart today. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand together with me. Let's sing that song. Well, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them.